of God's life-giving word to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We will be in chapter 4 today starting in verse 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, as you turn there, I want to welcome all of our guests, if you're new, to Redemption Hill. Uh, whether you're here in the room, worshiping online, we are thankful you've joined us. We would love to get to know you. And the best way you can help us do that, if you're new, is by filling out our digital connect card. You can download our church app. You'll find that connect card right there on the home page. Well, as we get into 1 Thessalonians 4, we are in the middle of our series, about halfway, a little more than halfway, uh, through our series we're calling Church on Fire. Church on Fire. And this church in Thessalonica where Paul had, uh, one of the greatest missionaries of the early church had traveled to and told them about Jesus and people decided to follow Jesus, they were really thriving in their faith. In fact, the first three chapters is basically one long word of gratitude with a couple of parenthetical, you know, thoughts tossed in to say how thankful he and his friends Silas and Timothy were for the faith of the Thessalonians. They were people who kept the fire burning in their hearts for their love for God and how that love transformed them to love one another and the people around them, even those that were persecuting them. And yet, once we get to chapter 4 here, we find that though there were so many great things happening in the church at Thessalonica, everything wasn't perfect. In fact, there were some things they needed to work on as they walk with Jesus, as they lived their everyday life with and for Jesus. And as we're going to see, Paul begins and he addresses the area of sexual desire and sexual purity. And so as we begin this morning, I just want to make a simple statement, and that is this. If you are currently struggling with sexual temptation and sexual sin, if you've struggled in the past or you think you might struggle in the future, this word is for you. And as sure as I say this word is for you, I need to say this word is for us because my working assumption based on human nature and what we see in terms of how God has made us as sexual beings with sexual desires and any of our desires in life, no matter what that desire is aimed at, can be corrupted and twisted and perverted. And so there is not one of us here today. There's not one person with us online that doesn't need to hear what Paul has to say to us. So today I want to speak to you about your sexual sanctification. Your sexual sanctification. I know the word sanctification is not a word that you use in your everyday conversations with your friends at work, all right? But sanctification is a word that we need to understand. You say, why is that, Tanner? Well, uh, one of the best ways I know to explain it is uh, a story from uh, early 20th century London where uh, the, the, the uh, editor of, of the paper tossed out this question in the editorial section, what's wrong with our world? 
And there were many answers given by many scholars and, and citizens of London in that day. But there was a philosopher, theologian, follower of Jesus by the name of G.K. Chesterton who answered that editorial in four words. Dear sir, I am. Yours sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. You see, we, we are the issue. We are the problem. And why is that? It's because that we have hearts that don't naturally follow the ways of God, but naturally deviate into our own ways in living for ourselves. The Bible tells us that we all have turned our back on God. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all struggle to live like Jesus. And though God, if you have chosen to follow Jesus, though God has freed us from the penalty of our sin, the Bible calls that justification, that God counts us righteous in Christ, that he no longer counts our sin against us, but he has freed us from that penalty of sin and delivered us from the consequence of sin, which is spiritual separation from God and death forever separated from him. We still have a lot of work to do in the process of sanctification. If justification is being freed from the penalty of our sin, sanctification is being freed from the power of sin in our everyday lives. And so as we think about sanctification, sanctification is the process of us progressively becoming more like Jesus in our everyday lives. And this is exactly where Paul goes at the beginning of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Follow along as I read these words for us. This is what Paul says. Finally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. Look at this. Your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Father, we ask that in these moments, you would have our full attention. God, we ask in these moments that as surely as Satan wants to enter the room and speak lies into our ears, that either this is not for us or we've struggled and failed so many times that we can never get past sexual immorality, God, we pray that we would hear 
a truer voice, a better voice, the voice of your spirit that says, God, you want to work in our lives and you are not done with us yet. Jesus, thank you for being our firm foundation that even when we fall down, we can rise again because we are standing on you, the rock. God, speak to us now as we learn to follow Jesus more and more. We pray in his name. Amen. Today, I want to call us to resolve to follow God's path to sexual, sexual sanctification. That's a mouthful, all right? Resolve to follow God's path to your sexual sanctification. The heart of this paragraph is captured in the theme of holiness. Paul mentions it four times in these verses. In verse 4, he says, control your body in holiness and honor. In verse 7, he says that God has called us to holiness. In verse 8, he says, if you disregard this instruction, you're not disregarding man, but you are disregarding God who gives us his holy spirit. And then verse 3, which sets the tone for this entire section, he says, this is the will of God, your sanctification or your holiness, as some translations put it. And so I don't know about you, but oftentimes I've journeyed through life and I've wondered, God, what do you really want from me? What do you have ahead? What, what, what is it that, that you are leading me to? What door are you going to open? And we wonder about and we pray about and we discover God's will for our lives. And yet some of God's will, in fact, I would say most of God's will for our life, there's no wondering, there's no guessing game to it. We don't even have to pray about it. We know what God's will is. He wants us to live like Jesus. He says it right here. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. God says this all throughout the Bible. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, put it clear like this. But just as he who called you is holy... So be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. This is our assignment. This is our responsibility. And let me tell you, this is our privilege. Because when God invites us to the path of holiness, he is inviting us to the path of blessing and the path of life. The path of life. So this morning, I want to give you four steps to practice as we walk the path to sexual sanctification. And as you hear these steps today, you need to understand that, that these principles are immediately applicable to any sin we struggle with, any addiction that we feel chained to, these principles will help us make it through to the other side. And so what is the first principle I want to give you? These are super simple. They are super intuitive, but we need God's help to practice them. What are they? Number one, prioritize God's pleasure. Prioritize God's pleasure. Look at verse one again. He says, finally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk, how you ought to live, and to please God. That you do so more and more. My mentor in seminary used to say, if anyone were to ask me my philosophy of life in 10 words or less, this is what I'm going to tell them. All that matters in life 
is that you please God. All that matters in life is that you please God. If you're trying to count, that's 10 words exactly, all right? All that matters in life is that you please God. See, what we need to understand is that our fight, our struggle against sin, especially sexual sin, is the fight to please God over pleasing ourselves. The desire to please ourselves motivates all sin. We are pleasure seekers by nature. It doesn't matter if we're talking about our summer plans. Anybody got some nice summer plans? This, I mean, you're, 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 you're choosing to go to New Hampshire, go to Maine, Rhode Island, the beach, wherever, the mountains, because that will bring you pleasure, right? We can be talking about our summer plans. We can be talking about our five-year plan. We can be talking about, I hope you're not too hungry yet. We can be talking about what you're going to eat for lunch. And I'm just telling you that the reason you're going to choose one thing over another is because what? You believe it's going to bring you more pleasure, right? And, and Blaise Pascal knew this writing centuries ago. He said, all people seek happiness. This is without exception. This is the motive of every action of every person. And so the only way, listen, the only way to defeat sin in our life is to change the object of our pleasure. To, to move from seeking our pleasure first to seeking the pleasure of God. Thomas Chalmers, who... Uh, said it so eloquently in the 19th century, said this, the only way, follow this, the only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection, a sinful affection, another way, and the only way to get a sinful desire out of your life is through the expulsive power of a new affection. So, so what he's saying is your pursuit of pleasure, your pursuit of what makes you happy, the only way to get the pursuit of sin out of your life is by replacing it with a better pleasure, which is the pleasure of God. And when we, listen, when we do this, what I love about God, how, how gracious, how kind, how loving God is, is that when we exchange our sinful desires for godly desires, when we exchange the pursuit of pleasing ourselves temporarily for pleasing God in his better path, is that a greater self-pleasure goes with the desire to please God. Jesus talked about this in the parable of the hidden treasure in Matthew 13, 44. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has. Think lesser pleasures. Think the self-pleasures that we chase after so that he can buy the field. Why is that? It's because this is better. This is more valuable. This is more pleasurable. And his joy is caught up in it. When we prioritize pleasing God, not only does God get the glory, but we get the joy. And so if we desire to defeat sexual sin in our life, listen, this is the most important step. This is the most important step. I don't know about you, but what I found in my struggle with sin is that the natural inclination is to focus on the problem. 
to focus on the sin, right? And so we start asking questions like, why do I do this? Or how can I live differently? Or what strategies can I implement to not give in? Are, th- are those good questions? Absolutely, right? Th- these, are, these are good questions. We should ask these questions. But listen, focusing on our sin will never ultimately get us out of our sin. And why is that? It's because when we fix our eyes on our sin, we, we are often still so focused on ourselves and we aren't necessarily fixing our eyes on Jesus. It's when we fix our eyes on Jesus that we keep bringing up on Sundays at Redemption Hill for the past two months where the writer of Hebrews says, as you run your race, you fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. As you fix your eyes on Jesus, that is what shifts the pursuit from I've got to change because of how bad I am to I want to change because of, look at this, how good God is. Amen? It shifts the mindset from from, I can't go there again because I'm such a disappointment. Look at what a failure I am. To nothing is more important than lighting up the heart of God and making my heavenly father smile. This is the difference when we begin to prioritize the pleasure of God. And Paul says, look, you need to seek after the pleasure of God more and more. If we look at that more closely, what he's saying is that that we need to overflow to a greater degree. And this all comes to us through the authority of the teaching of Jesus. What does Paul say in verse 2? For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. And so, so I'm, I just want to tell you, I hope you come on Sundays. I hope you join us online when you're traveling or sick or whatever and you can't be here physically. Because you believe These moments matter because God is still leading us. God still cares for us. God is still speaking to us. I mean, we've said it before. I'll say it again. If if you're coming to hear the words of a person on stage, you're wasting your time. It's a waste of time. But if God really loves us, if God is still speaking to us, we can stake our lives on every word. And we can watch them transform our lives, transform our families, transform our relationships. And so Paul says first, the first step in this path of sexual sanctification is to prioritize God's pleasure. But then number two, he simply says, moving out of verse three into verse four, avoid sexual sin. Avoid sexual sin. He, he says it rather bluntly at the end of verse 3. After he says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. He then says, that you abstain from sexual immorality. The Greek word for sexual immorality is pornea. And, and it, it, it often, depending on the context, it often covers a wide swath of sexual sin. So here, pornea is is referring to sexual sin, which could include sins like premarital sex, adultery, lust, pornography, 
homosexuality, polygamy, prostitution, rape, incest, and bestiality. All of these sins the Bible addresses. And Paul says you need to abstain from all sexual sin. No matter what the, the, the twisted sexual desire may be, you need to abstain from it. And if we're being honest, we're, sometimes we're having a conversation in our minds. It's like, but, but God, she looks so good. But, but God, he's so fine. Amen. You don't know if you should say amen or not, right? It's like, I don't know if I want to be honest right now. It's like, is, I mean, it's like, yeah, maybe I'll say amen. Maybe say, yep, that's true. But God's saying, look, that, that may be true but they don't belong to you. So abstain. To abstain means to hold back. It means to distance yourself. As I think about this imagery, I think about something that we love to do in the summertime. Hallelujah for 70 degrees today. We are ready to go outside. And one of our favorite things to do as a family, kind of, we like to do it at least, is to go to the Fells Way and go on hikes. Anyone love to go to the Fells in the summertime and Maybe hike some trails. I see those hands. And so, you know, one of the, one of the things that, that we, you know, do is, is, you know, pick a trail and often go up to Rice Tower. Maybe we'll go on a longer walk. And if, if my girls are being honest, oftentimes they're a little apprehensive to go on these trails because they know there are those slithery, sly, stealth-looking creatures known as snakes. And, and, and being the good father that I am, as we begin to walk those trails, I'll start talking about all the wildlife we might see that day. Oh, I hope we see some eagles out here. And maybe there'll be a coyote running around somewhere from a distance. And, you know, maybe we'll, maybe we'll see some chipmunks. Kessa really loves chipmunks. You know, they're so cute. And squirrels. And, hey, guys, maybe we'll see some and then, and then And then as we're walking those trails, like, Dads, do you do this, moms? Probably, probably only dads. Dads are usually more ornery than moms, right? So it's like, hey, did you hear that sound? What? Oh, did you? What? That, ah, ah! Right? It's like they, they, just, they freeze. They, they don't want to take one more step. They, they want to run from any possibility of a tiny little harmless snake. <laughs> I got to admit, sometimes I'm scared too. I'm just saying. Sometimes, sometimes I get a little scared too. You never know, right? Because... Because it could be, it's usually not, but it could be an eastern timber rattlesnake. And, and what, what God is saying here is he's saying, don't pet the rattlesnake. Don't, don't go near something that can harm you. Stay away. Keep your distance. Ephesians 5.3 puts it like this, but among you. Among you, the church. Among you, Redemption Hill. There must not even be a hint, a hint of sexual immorality. And when we read words like that, we have to step back and say, God, help us. God, forgive us. Because it's, it's not just, my sin is not just my problem. We're a family. We belong together. And so when I am caught up in a sin, when you are caught up in a sin, it affects you 
in every way, but especially spiritually. And we can't bring the kind of heart, the kind of love, the kind of fullness that we desire when we are chasing after these lesser pleasures. And so Paul says, abstain from it. Abstain from sexual immorality. You and I both know sexual temptation is at our fingertips. Talking about the, the, the internet and, and apps and, uh, you know, uh, series that are streaming on different services. Uh, these are all some of Satan's favorite tools to trip us up. And we need to understand how the devil works. You know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, that we are not unaware, we are not ignorant of the devils, of Satan's schemes. You say, well, well, well Pastor Tanner, you know, I've, I haven't been a Christian long, and, and I don't know how he's kind of operating and working. How can, I, how can I know? How can I be on guard? How can I understand how he's scheming against me? Well, one of the best ways is just to go to the Bible and see how he tempted Jesus in the wilderness. You see, Jesus was, was being tempted over the course of 40 days. And, and what was, he was hungry, right? He seems to be alone there in the wilderness. He was likely tired at times. Uh, this was a time because of his prayer and fasting, of course, it's Jesus, but, but it's, it teaches us the, the, the example that at times Satan will come after us when we're on a spiritual high, when we're really locked in, when we've experienced a spiritual victory in life, as well as a spiritual low point. These are all hats that Satan wears Hungry, alone, tired, spiritual high, spiritual low. And even when Jesus resisted, listen to this, it says in Luke 4.13, in that account, it says that the devil left him until, what, an opportune time. I mean, I just got to, I got to read that and say, if Satan is circling back on Jesus to tempt him again, what should I expect in my life? What should you expect? So we need to be on guard. As the Bible says, if you think you're standing firm, watch out so that you'll continue to stand firm on the firm foundation. But, but listen, here is some encouraging news. Though Satan loves to tempt us, though Satan lives to tempt us, Satan can never, ever make us give in to the temptation. We can never, listen, we can never say, I know it could be convenient, I know it might be nice, all right, but we can never say theologically, the devil made me do it. The devil can't make the Christian do anything. The Spirit of God is within us, and we are making our own choices to chase after this or that sin. Which leads us to the third step. Not only do we avoid sexual sin, we must practice Self-control. Practice self-control. As I, as I think about what is talked about in the church, what is talked about in, in small groups, what is prayed for, even in my own life in ministry and counseling others, I got to say that I, I think self-control, the virtue of self-control, is one of the most underrated, underappreciated virtues in the Christian life. You know we live in a world that says, do what you want, when you want. We live in a culture that says, if it feels good, do it, right? 
We live in a culture that says, have it your way right away. Wait, that's Burger King, right? That's Burger, that's Burger King. In fact, I know it's Burger King because listen to this. In the mid-2000s, listen to what Burger King proudly displayed throughout their stores. You have the right to have what you want exactly when you want it. Because on the menu of life, you are today's special. And it gets better. It gets better. Wait. You know, today's and tomorrow's and the day after that. And, well, you get the drift. This is, this is for real. I'm not making this up. Yes, that's right. We may be the king, but you, my friend, are the almighty ruler. And now, and now they're kind of, their tagline on top of the have it your way is what? You rule, right? You rule. And, and this, this gets at the heart of our sin problem. We think or we live as if we have sovereign autonomy, which is saying I can do whatever I want when I want to do it because I'm in charge, I'm in control. And so, and so, God, I know you've given me some different instructions, but I want what I want, and I want it now, and I'm going to go after it. But as it turns out, listen, you know this. We are pretty poor kings and queens. When we sit on the throne of our lives, it does not end well. Have you experienced that? Romans 6.21 puts it so, so clearly. It, Paul, Paul says there, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things which you are now ashamed? Did you hear that? What, what fruit? In other words, what benefit did you gain from those things, those sexual desires, those sexual temptations, that sexual sin? What did you gain from it? What did you benefit from it? Now you see it clearly and you are ashamed of it. He ends by saying, for the end of those things is death. That's why we have to practice self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and and, and self-control, right? And so we forget about the, the last one. Self-control is the ability to live under the kind influence of the Holy Spirit who guides and empowers us to say no to what we think is good so that we can say yes to that which is truly good. We, the, the, the Spirit is guiding us to, to live under His influence as we practice self-control. Proverbs 25, 28 puts it like this. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. I mean, we can go around the city of Boston and we won't find any walls that are surrounding our city. But in ancient times, there were walls built up around cities. Why? To protect the citizens of that city so that they keep anything which is bad, anything that which is destructive out of the city and keep everything which is good and beneficial inside the city. And God is saying, look, if you live your life without self-control, you're just like a city without walls. Stuff is going to be coming in that's going to harm you, that's going to seek to destroy you. 
self-control is how we fight sexual temptation. We've given this framework many times, but I hope, I hope you've internalized it by now. We, when we talk about fighting sin, we give this double R, double P framework. We want to refuse the temptation in Jesus' name as we're practicing self-control. Listen, we will be tempted. You're going to be tempted. You don't need to feel bad or guilty if you are tempted. But, but it is our responsibility to refuse the temptation in Jesus' name. To say, no, Jesus is better. He's the treasure. I am not going there because God is my God. And then we not only refuse the temptation in Jesus' name, but we then replace the temptation with Scripture. God, God is, is better. He is the treasure. He is the one who is, has called me to live a life that reflects how good and holy he is. And, and part of this strategy as we refuse and we replace, this is so wise, is to pray the other way. So in, in this context of sexual temptation, we pray that God, not only would you free me from this desire for sexual impurity, but that you, God, you would fill me with purity, the purity of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit would give me self-control in these moments to say no to that and yes to and as we do that, listen, as we pause, as we refuse, as we replace, as we pray the other way and ask for God's help and strength in the moment, no matter what the sin is, no matter if you're facing any kind of addiction, listen, that puts us in a position to praise God for his victory. So let me encourage you very practically, listen, very practically. Do whatever it takes to practice self-control. Please, please, please do whatever it takes to practice self-control. With all seriousness and urgency, Jesus would say crazy stuff like this. To help us understand how, how serious it is, he would say in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you... That anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so what does Jesus say? He says if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And so, so listen, it's, it's not, it's not, it doesn't take like a professional counselor or, you know, a pastor to meet with you or a group leader to, to kind of use your head and think, hey, if this is causing me to sin or stumble, then I need to do what Jesus said. I need to cut it off. If there's an app that is causing you to stumble into sexual temptation, guess what you can do? Delete the app. Cut it off. If there's a, a series on Netflix that, that is sensual in nature and is, is filling your mind with temptation, I got about five series that I can recommend to you. Cut it off. If that spot you go to on Saturday night fills you with temptation, there's a lot of great people you can hang out with that probably aren't interested in going to those places. If you're in a relationship 
that is causing you to compromise your commitment to Christ, you might need to cut it off. Because what what does Paul say here? He says, verse 4, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Our responsibility for holiness belongs to us. You have the responsibility for you. What your eyes see, where your feet go, what your hands touch. God says, control your body. And do so in holiness and honor. In other words, do it in a way that reflects who I am. Did you know that the Bible not only says that God is love, he is absolutely love. It says that God is holy. And it says God is holy over 600 times. 600 times. Be holy as I am holy. Control your own body in holiness and in honor. Not just honoring God, but honoring the people around you. Anything less is to live like someone who does not yet know God. This is what Paul means when he says, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And so we prioritize God's pleasure. We avoid sexual sin. We practice self-control. And this, this fourth one will help us. Listen, we consider the consequences. We consider the consequences. I, I don't know about you, but for me, if, if I would have considered the consequences before I entered into that foolish action, I might not have gone there. And Paul says there are some very serious consequences. Actions always have consequences, whether we see them in the moment or not. And so he he says, here are the the consequences in verse 6, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. And, and, and not just brother, but sister is implied. This applies to adultery. This, this also applies to premarital sexual intimacy. So, so again, our sin is not just our problem. When we give in to sexual temptation, no matter if it's with a, 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 a live human being or if it's on a screen, what we are dishonoring another human being, we are not treating them as though they are created in the image of God with infinite value and worth assigned to them by God. And we are not only dishonoring them, we are dishonoring their spouse or their potential future spouse. That's one consequence. Here's a second one. We welcome God's judgment. God judges all sin. He always has the last word. God disciplines us for our sin, and at times that looks like allowing us to experience the bitter consequences of our sin. Those are the first two, but the next two are even bigger. Number three, the third consequence, we fail to reflect God's holiness. We're living inconsistent with his character. We are giving people a false view of who our God is as we bear his name. 
and related to that, not only do we fail to reflect God's holiness and character, but we also are disregarding his will and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If you think about it, we talked so much last year about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how God has empowered us to serve others and to, to serve the common good. And yes, that is so important. God has made us to be a blessing to others, to serve others inside and outside of the church. But the fir first thing is first, that, that God, the Spirit, is called the Holy Spirit because what he is, is producing in us is that which reflects him, which is holy. So it's not just the, the gifts of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit in us, which always, by the way, is, is a correlation to operating in the gifts that as we walk in the fruit of the Spirit, it strengthens us as we exercise the gifts of the Spirit. These are some of the severe consequences of our sexual sin. But if we flip those around, we can see that we can honor God, honor people, reap eternal blessings, point to God's grace, greatness, and honor him as God in our lives. And so as we bring our time to a close today, I'm reminded of the words of Tim Keller, who maybe you heard this past Friday, went on to be with the Lord. Tim was a leading voice in the global church. He was one of the reasons that uh, our family, the Chastain family, along with a few others, came to plant a church in Boston. He was a, a pastor in Manhattan who was ringing the bell for, for uh, church planters and teams to move into global cities to be a light for Jesus. And he always helped bring everything back to the cross so that everything that we do, whether, whether it's uh, serving people uh, overseas, foster care ministry, wh whatever it is, following God's path to sexual, sexual sanctification, whatever it is, it should be motivated by the cross of Christ. Because he would, he would say this, religion and that's what so many people are living for in our city. They, they think that God is still relating to us as, as some kind of, uh, the, he wants us to follow some kind of religion which says if you obey and follow a set of rules, then God will accept you. But the good news of the gospel, the, the, what God has done for us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus says this, because God has accepted us in Christ, that's why we obey. That's why we follow him. It's, it's the gospel that motivates our obedience. God, in light of who you are, in light of what you have done for me, in light of how much you love me, and in light of how much you are already pleased with me as your daughter or son, I am now going to live for your pleasure. I'm going to do whatever it takes to avoid sexual sin, to practice self-control as I consider the consequences. And you may be here today and you may be really, really struggling in this area. You may, you may be here today and have never thought that God could actually forgive you for your sin. But as, as one pastor said long ago, there is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. Amen? More mercy in Christ than sin in us. 1 John 1 9 says it like this If we confess our sin, God is faithful and just. 
to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we're about to to sing in just a few moments, and I hope you'll take an opportunity as we pray just to say, God, I know you know. And God, you've helped me see this is not okay. I can't keep going there. There are some things that I need to cut off in my life. God, please forgive me. And on the basis of God's word, not because you deserve it or I deserve it, but because of how merciful and gracious and loving our holy God is. He forgives us of our sin. He cleanses us and washes it away. Even if you've followed Jesus for quite some time and you keep finding yourself struggling and going back to sexual sin, I want to encourage you with the words of Proverbs 24, verse 16. For though the righteous falls seven times, they rise again. God is in the business of extending his grace to us, extending his forgiveness and giving us all the strength we need from moment to moment to say no to sexual temptation, that we might say yes to him and experience all the blessing in life that he has died to bring us so that we would have life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. God, we thank you for these moments that we can consider your word. God, we we thank you that you not only know what is best for us, but you show us the path. And you give us all the strength we need to walk that path day by day. And so, God, it's, it's our prayer this morning, God, that, that as, we, as we get honest with you, because you know it all, God, you see it all, you know all of our flaws, all of our failing, all of the many times we have given in to temptation. And so, God, we confess to you even now, forgive us and cleanse us and give us the strength to follow hard after you as you give us your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, let's stand and let's sing together. And we're going to sing about how God desires to give us more and more of his Holy Spirit. I want you to sing these words and apply it to your life as you seek to honor God in every area. Let's, let's sing together.